Welcome to The Cross Stands. My name is Father Bryce, coming to you from Holy Cross in Morgan City, Louisiana. Today, we speak of the incarnation of the Son of God. What, what does that even mean? Incarnation literally means enfleshment, the taking on of flesh of the Son of God. God is spirit. God doesn't have a body, except that God the Son chose to take on a human body and also a human intellect, a human will, a human soul for our sake and for our salvation. He remains fully God, 100% God, but at the same time is also fully man, 100% a human being. That's what the incarnation is. That God became man. God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, became 100% a human being while also remaining 100% God. And that's what we are going to unpack together today on the podcast as we ask what we believe. Why did God become man? The Creed tells us, for us men and for our salvation. For us, he became man. That we might be saved, he became man. This takes us back to last time. But listen to the words of St. Gregory of Nyssa. Sick, our nature demanded to be healed. Fallen, to be raised up. Dead, to rise again. We had lost the possession of the good. It was necessary for it to be given back to us. Closed in the darkness, it was necessary to bring us the light. Captives we await a savior, prisoners helps, slaves a liberator. Are these things minor or insignificant? Did they not move God to descend to human nature and visit it, since humanity was in so miserable and unhappy a state? Because we were sick, because we were fallen, because we were dead, God became man so that you and I might be healed, we might receive salvation. God became man so that we might know his love for us. God became man to be a model of holiness so that you and I could see with our eyes what holiness looks like in human life. And the word became flesh. God became man. The incarnation happened to make us partakers of the divine nature. See, that's the end game. That's the point of all of this, that you and I might enter into intimate, unceasing communion with God. For this is why the Word became man, and the Son of God became the Son of Man, says St. Irenaeus. So that man, by entering into communion with the Word, and thus receiving divine sonship, might become a Son of God. For the Son of God became man, so that we might become God said St. Athanasius. And St. Thomas Aquinas wrote that the only begotten Son of God, wanting to make us sharers in His divinity, assumed our nature so that He made man might make men gods. In other words, God wants to share His very life with us. God wants to share His very self with us. God holds nothing back from you and from me. 
And God became man so that we could be saved, so that we could be with him, so that we could know how to live, so that we could know how to love, and so that we could even, by participation, share in his very life. The ultimate end of the whole divine economy, of everything that God does in the world, the catechism is going to say, is the union of God's creatures, that's you and me, into the communion of the Blessed Trinity. Wow. So God became man. What, is, what does that mean? What, what, you see, Jesus, he's, um, he's one person. He's, he's the Son of God. But he also has a human nature. He's one person the Son of God, the Word, and He has two natures. A human nature that He assumed at His incarnation, that He took on, and a divine nature from all eternity, which He shares with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. He has a human nature and a divine nature. If He has a human nature, that means He has to have a human soul. And if He has a human soul, that means He has to have a human intellect and a human will, which is somehow united with his divine intellect and his divine will. In other words, Jesus thinks and wills both as God and as man. We see this, it seems to me, most clearly in the agony in the garden. When Jesus says, Father, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. We see, I think, in the agony of the garden, Jesus' human nature being repulsed by suffering. Jesus' human nature, or Jesus, in his human nature, desiring, in a sense, to not suffer. Yet, his will is always, always, always united to the will of the Father. So what's the last thing he says? Not my will, but your will be done. And, and, and the implications for us is that in that, like Jesus shows us that, that it's okay to have an aversion to suffering. That it's okay to have an honest conversation with him, an honest conversation with the Father and the Holy Spirit about what we desire and about what we don't desire. It's, it's okay and it's in fact good to have an honest conversation with him about our feelings. But in the end, as Christians, we know that we know that we know that we know. We know beyond the shadow of a doubt that God's will in the end is what is good for us. That God's will is in the end is what brings us happiness. That God's will in the end is what brings us salvation which brings us everything for which we ever long. So we say with Jesus, not with a divine will, only, only God has a divine will, but with our human wills. We unite our human wills to the will of God in a similar way to how Jesus' human will is the unity as divine will, though not as perfectly. And we say, Father, not my will be done, but yours be done. Jesus is one person with two natures. One divine person with a human nature and with a divine nature. And it's because he has a human nature, that means he has a human soul and a human intellect and a human will. 
to go along with his divine intellect and his divine will. And his human intellect and his human will are always conformed to his divine intellect and his divine will. His human intellect and his human will are always united to his divine intellect and his divine will. As Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. The Catechism says this about Jesus' human and divine will. They are not opposed to each other, but cooperate in such a way that the Word made flesh willed humanly in obedience to His Father. All that He had decided divinely with the Father and the Holy Spirit for our salvation. Hear that? Our salvation again. God is always reaching out to us, always desiring us to save us, always desiring us to bring us to Himself. Christ's human will does not oppose, but rather submits to His divine and almighty will. And similarly, since Jesus has a human intellect, that means he can learn, that means he can grow in wisdom and so forth. I think I said that right. Since Christ has a human intellect, that means that he can grow and that he can uh, learn in a human way. But because he's a divine person, because his human intellect is always united to his divine intellect, because Jesus always beholds the face of the Father, then he, can, he, he knows things that, that we don't. His, to his human, his human intellect is enlightened in accord with his divine will um, by his divine intellect so that he can know things that other people don't know. So that he knows the Father so that he can see into human hearts. But most especially that he always beholds the face of the Father. He's always united, totally and completely in thought, and in love with his Father. Finally, because Jesus is fully man and fully God, we can say that God worked with human hands. God taught with a human mind. God acted with a human will and with a human heart he loved. Born of the Virgin Mary, he has truly been made one of us, like us in all things except sin. So in the body of Christ, in the body of Jesus, we see our God made visible and are so caught up in the love of the God we cannot see. Jesus loves with the human heart. And for this reason, the sacred heart of Jesus, pierced by our sins and for our salvation, is quite rightly considered the chief sign and the symbol of that love with which the divine Redeemer continually loves the Father and all human beings without exception. So I'll leave you with a prayer that I learned from, from a pastor that I had growing up from Father Jeff. He said when he first got to Church Point over and over again, Jesus, meek and humble of heart, make my heart life unto thine. Jesus, meek and humble of heart, make my heart life unto thine. What does that mean? Make my heart always obedient. Make my will always conform to yours. Enlighten my intellect by, by your light. Teach me to love with your love, to love with your heart. Jesus, meek and humble of heart, make my heart like unto thine. Jesus, meek and humble of heart, thank you for taking on flesh. Thank you for becoming man, so that sick I might have a healer, so that fallen I might rise again, so that dead I might be raised to life. 
for us men and for our salvation you came for us. Jesus, meek and humble of heart, make my heart light unto thine.